Hey, you may have noticed Pastor Denville is not here this morning. Um, <clears throat> maybe you noticed that. He started his vacation, and that's a good thing because uh, every once in a while you just got to take some time and rest up. And so I'm glad that he and his family have, uh, have an opportunity to uh, get away from the regular routine and do something a little different, maybe get a little rest, uh, maybe not if they're like my vacations, but uh, I'm glad they're able to do that. Uh, we'll miss them while they're gone. They'll be gone this Sunday and next Sunday, and then they'll be back and ready to uh, gear up for uh, what for families is a busy time of the year as school starts back again just in a few weeks and uh, they'll hopefully be ready and ready to go. Now, I'm not sure where they're going on their vacation. They didn't share that with me. I don't know whether they're driving, flying, going by train, walking. I'm not real sure what they're going to do, but wherever they go, we're praying that uh, they have a good time in the Lord and uh, that they get refreshed. I know it, it is a busy time of travel uh, during the summer. Lots of folks uh, uh, take time to go here, there to visit family, and uh, the roads get clogged, and uh, the airlines are uh, busy canceling flights, and uh, just all kinds of things are happening. Uh, I know that uh, one of our uh, member of our church family recently uh, was on a flight and had a little bit of a problem. Uh, I'm glad to know that uh, that turned out to be okay. It was a physical ailment type of a deal, and uh, they were uh, taken care of at the hospital and were able to continue their trip and and return home, and we celebrate that. Uh, We're glad for that. But, you know, flying for some people is kind of frightening, isn't it? Uh, Some people just don't like it at all. I, I, I heard a story recently about a businessman who was one of those people. He was absolutely terrified of flying and he avoided it at all costs. But at this one particular instance, on this day, he could not avoid uh, flying. Uh, so he got on the airplane, got in the seat, buckled himself in, grabbed the seat rest and did the white knuckle grab. And they took off and things were going okay. And as they were nearing their destination, all of a sudden there was a pop and some of the noise changed. And if you've been on an airplane, you know you don't like to hear the noise change. Uh, and it was an announcement from the pilot. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the pilot. Uh, I'm sorry to have to report that we've lost the power in our right engines. Uh, but that's okay. We have the left engines. Uh, everything will be fine. We'll be able to get on the ground, and uh, we'll do that safely, and uh, then go on to our destination later. Um, you know, so now he's, got, now he's making dents in the seat. And they're flying along, and all of a sudden there's another pop, and then there's dead silence. Followed shortly by the announcement, ladies and gentlemen, this is the pilot. I'm afraid I have to announce we've lost power in the left engines. Uh, Please assume the crash position. You know, head down, uh, and uh, this by the now this businessman is absolutely terrified. And as he sits in the seat and he's got his head down between his legs, he did something that he does very, very rarely. He prays and he says, Dear God, if you get me out of this, I promise I'll give half of everything I own to charities. And he's, you know, he's ready, he's ready to see what God's going to do. All of a sudden, the engines start back up, and the plane's under power. And he, they, pilot comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad to announce that the engines are now working. We will be landing shortly, and uh, we will r- arrive safely. And the plane touches down, and as soon as they open the doors, the businessman is out the door. 
And uh, he's walking across the runway and the taxiway there uh, towards the, the terminal. And as he does, the, a man catches up with him. He says, sir, I, I don't know if you noticed me. I was sitting in the seat next to you. And he says, I happen to be a pastor. And I'm associated with a number of charities. And he says, I, I know a number of charities that would love to help you fulfill your vow to God. And the businessman says, oh, don't worry about that. I made another vow to God already. He says, I vowed to God that if I ever got on another airplane, he could have it all. (laughs) You know, there are times when we make promises that we don't really intend to keep. And I wonder if that was one for the businessman. You know, Lord, if you get me out of this, maybe you've done that. Maybe you haven't. But, um, you know, we live in a culture where truth uh, is often... I don't know. It doesn't seem to be real, what's the word I want, prevalent? Um, You know, we have this incredible system of lawyers and contracts and notaries and binding signatures to ensure that we'll do what we say. Um, But, you know, none of those things make people any more truthful. In fact, uh, a lot of people don't even believe that Truth is an objective reality. Uh, A few years back, uh, the Barna Research Group did a study and found that only 22% of adults in America believe there is even such a thing as absolute moral truth. Uh, But the real kicker of the story was that they uh, talked to those... uh, is a special group who were born-again Christians, people who had made a personal commitment to Christ, who said that Christ was still important in their lives and indicated that they believed they would go to heaven when they died uh, and that their sins had been forgiven and Jesus was their Savior. Among that group, only 32% of adults and only 9% of teenagers said they believe moral truth is unchangeable or absolute. So is it any wonder why people have a hard time telling the truth to each other? Apparently, the majority of them can't even identify what the truth is in the first place. It's an interesting world we live in. But what about you? What do you say when you really want someone to believe what you're saying? Do you add something to make your words sound more truthful? Something that goes like this? I swear, this time, this is the truth. Or, honest, I heard this and this is the truth. Do we ever do that? From the very beginning of time, men and women have used their words and their speech to lead other people away from God. And when we use our words to deceive someone, the Bible calls that lying. Sometimes uh, people lie for different reasons. To get out of trouble, to trick others into doing something we want them to do, or sometimes it's just simply we want to make ourselves look better. That way of using our words is sinful. And lying in our world is so common that we often feel the need to make a promise or an oath when we say something so that others will believe what we say. I mean, have you ever said, like, dude, I promise, or I swear this is true? Sometimes we feel the need to make uh, our promise even stronger and say, I cross my heart and hope to die, or stick a needle in my eye. It's also common to hear people say, I swear to God, it's the truth. The reason people create oaths is because lying is so common in our world. 
People's words are so often untrustworthy that we feel like we need to add these little sayings and special promises to signal when we're about to actually speak the truth. An oath or a special promise is kind of a way to leave room for dishonesty in our speech. An oath simply is something that affirms the statement or truth. Uh, Unfortunately, men often fail to keep their word. Uh, They often lie or misrepresent the truth. And so in the passage that we're about to read, we're in a time when men often added an oath to assure the other person that they were telling the truth. Now, the Bible doesn't always say that an oath or a vow is bad. Uh, There are times in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, where oaths are approved, and you can go back and read about that in Numbers. Uh, But depending on what you swore by, the oath might be binding or it might not. In the text today, Jesus is addressing a very narrow and misleading kind of legalism that required a specific oath to be spoken to make words binding. In other words, if you didn't say this, you didn't have to keep your word. Read with me. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Uh, We'll also be reading from Matthew 23 and verses 16 through 20, or 22, where Jesus talks about uh, oaths again. But first we're reading from Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37. I am reading this morning uh, from the New International Version, so it might be a little different than what you're reading. Again, you have heard it said, and these are the words of Jesus, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you. You notice here, Jesus is saying, okay, here's the law. This is what it says in the scriptures. Do not break your oath. But I tell you. Jesus is saying, what I say is the same as the law. He's putting his teaching on the equal footing uh, with the law. I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. And then if you turn to Matthew chapter 23, and we're going to read verses 16 through 22. This is Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22. And Jesus is speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and he says, Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools! Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it and everything on it. And he who swears by the temple, swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. These passages are about integrity. It involves moral character. It means doing the right thing and living by a moral and ethical code based on God's standards. It's about being honest. 
And that was the issue with the oaths that people were using at the time of Jesus. Uh, They were taking an oath on something in order to convince somebody that they were telling the truth. Uh, In the people's everyday communication with each other, uh, they would make these oaths to convince each other of the truth and sincerity of their words. But the rabbis, the scribes and the Pharisees, had developed this complicated system for determining whether or not oaths had to be kept. If you swore by the temple, it didn't mean anything. But if you swore by the gold of the temple, that was important. That meant you had to keep yours. It just depended on what you said and how you said it. Some people are really good at misleading others. Never not telling the truth, but not quite telling the truth. Have you ever seen the movie movie Pirates of the Caribbean? Seen that? Some of you have, yeah. Yeah. There was a guy in the movie, a character who was a master at telling the truth, but not really telling the truth. Captain Hector Barbosa, he was a pirate who was always careful to keep his word, and yet he was intentionally deceptive at the same time. Um, For example, at one point, uh, they've captured a young woman, and uh, they are... Uh, the crew and, and some of the passengers are saying, you know, you gotta, gotta let this woman go, set her free. And so um, Captain Barbosa says, okay, I promise I will let her go free. And then he proceeds to make her walk the plank. And one of the characters protests, Barbosa, you liar! You swore you, you, she'd go free! And Barbosa responds, don't you dare impugn me, honor boy. I agreed she go free, but it was you who failed to specify when or where. And so he sets her free by making her walk the plank. The Pharisees are doing something similar here as Jesus is talking to them. Uh, they're taking the Old Testament commandments on keeping their oaths and they're twisting them. They taught the people, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. And they're focused on that little part, to the Lord. In other words, they found a loophole. Sure, you had to keep your oaths that you made to each other or to the Lord, but you didn't have to keep the oaths that you made to each other. And of course, people aren't dumb. They caught on pretty quick. So they became even more devious. Then they would do things to make it sound like they were making an oath to the Lord when in their minds they really weren't like swearing by the temple or swearing by heaven or swearing by the earth. And so it all became a game to them. You know, the goal was, how can I trick you into thinking I'm telling the truth when I'm really not? The the law said that you were to not take an oath except to the Lord your God. Um, Anytime you would swear by God or his name, it was binding. Oaths made by heaven or the earth or Jerusalem were not binding in the Old Testament law. But they were twisting this for their own ends to make themselves look good. The law, as it's stated in the Old Testament, uh, Exodus 27, uh, 20 verse 7, says, Thou shalt not take the name of Jehovah thy God in vain. Leviticus 19.12 tells us, You shall not swear by my name falsely. The law said that God's people were to swear by him alone, not by any other God and not by any other created thing. But the Jews in Jesus' day put an interesting twist on that. They had trouble telling the truth consistently, just like you and I do. Uh, In order to make sure they weren't found guilty of swearing falsely by the name of God, uh, they had come up with this 
plan and this habit of swearing by everything except God. They needed to add some kind of force to their promise to make their words more believable. But they didn't want to be judged by God by swearing something in his name when they didn't really intend to make good on it or when it wasn't entirely true. So they created what was in effect a lesser class of oaths. Oaths that were bound to various parts of God's creation rather than to God himself. Do you see where the Pharisees and the scribes have taken this and how Jesus stands this kind of foolish thinking on its head? They were coming up with all sorts of mental gymnastics to uh, keep themselves from being accountable from God. And Jesus told them, you can't get away from your accountability by, to God by invoking things because God is sovereign over all things. The temple is God's dwelling place. The earth is his footstool. Heaven is where he lives. Even if you swear by the things in this earth, you're still swearing by God. But they were trying to find a way to get out of it. Jesus was nailing this as an undesirable uh, procedure because it was all about pulling the wool over people's eyes. That is, these people, they swore impressive sounding oaths. And the whole situation they were creating was phony. They were creating a system where they could swear by heaven or earth or Jerusalem, the temple, the altar, and it meant nothing to anyone because they didn't swear by the name of the Lord. Jesus told us here in Matthew 5 that if you swear by heaven, you're swearing by God because it's the throne of God. If you swear by earth, you're swearing by the footstool of God. Jerusalem is the city of God. Your body isn't your own either. It's God's creation. So they thought they were getting away with breaking their oaths, but they weren't. You see, these oath makers, they could have simply been answering yes or no, but they were taking sacred realities and using them for their own purposes, uh, for their attempts to seem holy, for their own efforts to add credibility to whatever statements they were making. Uh, They were even creating loopholes to deceive their listeners. The problem was, just as with murder and adultery, uh, the passages that we have studied uh, from the Sermon on the Mount in the last two weeks, uh, that Pastor Denville preached about, uh, just as with those two things, murder and adultery, the Pharisees were reinterpreting the law to find a way out. The problem wasn't with the Old Testament commandments, but with the Pharisees' legal loopholes and their manipulation of oaths to get away with being deceitful and wiggle out of their promises while maintaining a facade of righteousness. Jesus was talking about the importance of honesty and integrity in all that we say and do. You know, talk's cheap. And we need to make sure that our words correspond with our actions and our actions correspond with our words. There are a few things more important to your reputation than simply speaking the truth about what you've done and doing what you say you will do. I want to encourage you, be truthful in your speech. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 22 says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. That means no lying, no exaggeration, no distorting, no shading the truth. Speaking the truth is absolutely necessary for trust. And speaking the truth brings great freedom to your life. Commit yourself to speaking the truth at all times, and it will revolutionize your life. Did you ever see the Jim Carrey movie, Liar, Liar? Yeah, some of you are giggling. I... The gentleman is a lawyer, and he has built his reputation on 
winning cases most often by not telling the truth. And he extends that to his family life, and he often tells things that he doesn't uh, plan to carry through on. Uh, He makes promises to his young son that he never keeps. And finally one day his son is so disheartened by the whole thing that on, his, on the son's birthday, uh, as he's about to blow out the candles and make the wish, he says, I wish my dad could tell the truth for just one day. And then he blows out the candles. And the next day the father finds out that he cannot tell a lie. This is problematic for a lawyer who's built his whole career on telling not quite the truth. And he finds himself in a situation in a court where uh, it's the culmination of a big case and he has to find some way to get his client a fair settlement. And every time he tries to tell a lie, he goes, he can't get the words out. So he has to resort to telling the truth. He's never done that. He doesn't really know how. And he's not sure what's going to happen if he can't lie. He thinks he has to lie to win the case. But as it turns out, as he begins to tell the truth, and he begins to find out the truth and speak the truth, his client wins the case and gets a fair settlement. And he celebrates. Telling the truth will revolutionize your life. Be careful with what you promise. Ecclesiastes 5 says this, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. It's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. God is always a witness to what you say. So you need to be careful about what you promise. Make sure that uh, you think about all the possible obstacles before giving your word. Always leave room for God's will. In fact, if the Lord wills is a good phrase to attach to all your plans and promises. And then once... You do make a promise, be faithful in following through. Psalm 15 says, He whose walk is blameless, who speaks the truth from his heart, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, he who does these things will never be shaken. Speak the truth from your heart. And once you've given your word, be faithful in following through even when it hurts. Did you say yes? Then make sure you follow through with yes. Did you say no? then follow through with no. Be sure that's what it means. To let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be people of truth. Be people of honor. Be people of integrity. Because when you lose your credibility with others, it's a tragedy for them. When anyone loses their credibility. But for us as Christians, when we lose our credibility, it's not only a reflection on us, but it's a reflection on who God is. People see us, and rather than observing our actions and glorifying our Father in heaven, they see us as hypocrites who really don't believe what we say about our God. How could he be as great as they say he is if they act like they do? If you can't keep your word, if you tell, if you lie, if you can't keep your promises, it reflects poorly on God. It makes people believe that God's not all that he really is. And it would really be a tragedy if we came to the end of our lives and found out that many people were led away from accepting the grace of our Lord rather than led towards it. And that was because we had a bad reputation due to not being a person of our word and not doing what we said we would do. Jesus in this passage reminds us that our creator is always present. He hears what you say and he also sees your heart. Clever word games do not excuse lying 
And if you say you're going to do something, no matter what word you use, and then you don't do it, it's a lie. God holds us to a higher standard. Our standard is not, will I get caught? Because you and I are going to go before a higher judge than any in this world. We will stand before God and give an account of what we've said and what we've done. Let's not look for loopholes to get out of what we've agreed to do. You know, people do this today by saying things like, I swear to, or I'll be honest with you, or cross my heart and hope to die. Some people even say, so help me God, or with God as my witness. And why do people use those kind of oaths? To convince someone they're honest. However, if we are honest, taking an oath changes nothing. If we're dishonest, using an oath doesn't mean anything. Just tell the truth. Stop trying to deceive one another by trying to, and trying to wiggle out of your agreements. Quit trying to add more weight to your words than what you can carry. The taking of an oath is a confession, really, that we're not altogether honest. It says, I have to tell you I'm telling you the truth because my life doesn't really show that I am. You know, the taking of oaths is, is really just a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. If somebody were to come to me and say, hey Jim, with God as my witness, I am telling you the truth. My response is, if you're telling the truth, why do you need God as your witness? Appealing to God in this way uh, doesn't help overcome my suspicion of your honesty. Wouldn't it be better, a better approach to cultivate a life of integrity and consistency and truthfulness so that we will gain the trust of others and won't need any oaths? Most of us have probably heard of Dr. Seuss. He was a creative children's author. He wrote a lot of stories that we've read over and over again in our lifetime, either when we were growing up or when our kids were growing up. And one of the stories he wrote is called Horton Hatches an Egg. And the book centers on this friendly elephant named Horton, who's convinced by Maisie, who's a lazy, irresponsible bird, uh, to sit on her egg while she takes a short break. And then she relocates permanently to Palm Beach. Smart bird. As Horton sits on the nest on the top of the tree, he's exposed to the elements. He's laughed at by his jungle friends. He's captured by hunters. He's forced to endure a terrible sea voyage, and he's finally placed in a traveling circus. However, despite the hardships and the obvious fact that Maisie's not ever coming back, Horton refuses to leave the nest because he insists on keeping his word, often repeating this phrase, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant, An elephant's faithful 100%. I hope today that you can say with me, I meant what I said. I said what I meant. A Christian is faithful 100%. Our God never lies. He never tells anyone that he will do something and then fails to do that. We can count on him to come through no matter what it takes or how long it may seem to take to accomplish it. So let us all, as the Lord's children, let our yes be yes and our no be no, and in doing so bring him honor that he truly deserves. I hope you can say with me, I meant what I said and I said what I meant. A Christian's faithful 100%. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for your word, which challenges us so much. In the world in which we live, in which people won't even admit to the truth, when it seems as though everyone handles the truth lightly, Father, help us to be people of integrity and honesty, just as Jesus was. Father, when we are tempted to promise what we don't intend, when we're tempted to make ourselves look better with a little white lie, when we attempt to get ourselves out of trouble by avoiding the truth, Father, may the voice of the Holy Spirit speak and remind us that we are your children and that we are called to be honest, that we are called to live lives of integrity and lives that glorify God and help us, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit to choose to do just that, to do the thing that is upright and honorable, to tell the truth no matter what. Father, I pray that you will change our hearts, make us more like Jesus, and may the lives we lead in this world glorify you. Amen.